Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of Reconsider, part of the Agora Podcast Network, where we don't do the thinking for you. I'm your host, Eric, and today I'm going to be talking about something that I've done a little reconsidering on recently. Not so much that I've changed my mind, but that I've been able to see something that I disagree with in a new light that has helped me understand it better and empathize with it more. The topic that Eric is reconsidering is anti-work. So let me start with what the heck is anti-work for those of you who don't know. It started out as a subreddit. It has over a million subscribers now. Uh, If you don't know what Reddit is, just go to reddit.com, R-E-D-D-I-T. That's on you. But it's a subreddit that has had very quickly growing subscribers with their motto, quote, anti-work, unemployment for all, not just the rich. That is their freaking motto. Uh, Below that, a subreddit For those who want to end work, are curious about ending work, want to get the most out of a work-free life, want more information on anti-work ideas, and want personal help in their own job slash work-related struggles. And so the last one of those, to me, sounds, you know, sounds pretty cool, right? And I'll I'll talk about that in a sense. But, you know, that series, you know, those paragraphs are very clear that some of the folks uh, just seriously don't want to have to work. You know, and what are the implications from that? Who's going to pay for their stuff, right? If you don't have to work, why do I have to work, right? Who's going to fly the planes? Who's going to make the food, right? Obviously, you know, all these things come to mind immediately. And it's kind of crazy. And surely most of the people who think this have thought past, well, if, you know, if nobody works, everything will be fine, right? Surely they've, they've thought past that. And the reason I know about anti-work is because I go to Reddit and anti-work stuff just pops up in my feed constantly. And I just get so cranky about it. And those of you who are familiar with Reddit are going, well, Eric, why don't you, you know, curate your feed? In part because I'm trying to not just be crushed by my own bubble. Reddit leans quite left, more left than me. And, you know, I think it's good exposure. So, but the idea of ending work and or unemployment for all, right, there will hopefully come a day where robots can feed and house everyone and they can fly the planes and drive the trains and do our nails and fill in potholes and build stuff, right? At that point, work becomes voluntary, right? You, you do the stuff that you really want to do, maybe for more money than the robot communism, you know, UBI paycheck, right? And you, everyone can do as they please when they want, but we're clearly not there. 
right? So someone's got to work. Uh, and it's driving me crazy. And it's gotten a lot of attention now because it's getting bigger. Got attention from Forbes and Business Insider and other stuff. And their take on it is this. And I've got these linked in show notes. Um, both an online and in-person movement. It's about workers pushing back against the exploitation and rethinking possibilities. The title of that article is Inside the Rise of Anti-Work, a worker's strike that wants to turn the labor shortage into a new American dream. You know, and I think like that actually sounds pretty cool, right? I'm, I'm a big fan of using supply and demand to do the right thing. You know, if labor has a, an advantage right now because there's less labor than there is work to do, well, that's awesome. What's interesting is that's sort of like the opposite of the idea of unemployment for all is like, okay, Let's get everyone employed and get them a great deal in their employment because we have bargaining power now. And I think I've talked about this before, and I'll talk about my experience in a bit here, but I work in software where there's huge bargaining power for the engineers that we work with and even the salespeople, and I'm the employer, right? And the I'm a founder, chief operating officer. So I got to convince everyone to work for me. And boy, there is a lot of leverage, right? There's a lot of bargaining power for employees right now. So, you know, that's an interesting different take. Uh, Forbes had a different take. They said, uh, quote, the anti-work movement is a sign that something's rotten in the workplace, which again, might be true. And what's interesting is in their article said that a more appropriate moniker would be change work, not anti-work. This is a problem that I think is classic for the left, uh, which is just terrible advertising or terrible marketing, right? Like, for example, just insisting on using the word socialism in the United States is very self-defeating for anyone who actually wants to accomplish something, right? Like if you were a marketer and you said, we're going to package this thing for an American audience and call it socialism, like I'd fire you because it's bad marketing. Um, Anti-work seems like bad marketing. Um, defund the police was very bad marketing, especially right now. Uh, with the crime waves people are seeing just, you know, because most people hear that and they think like, oh, fewer police, which of course a lot of people wanted, right? A lot fewer police, but right now it doesn't seem so popular. And is this just a case of bad marketing? Is this a bunch of people who just can't be bothered, right? Unfortunately, like, does it play into the whole snowflake thing? Like, oh, lazy millennials, they don't even want to work at all? Wow, right? See, we're right the whole time. They don't even want to work, right? Boomers get their, their day in the sun. Or is it something more? So I am going to work through, I actually had a great conversation recently, which I'll talk about. That's helped me start reconsidering anti-work because I, it has always, you know, been a, it's always gotten under my skin and I've always hated it. Before we continue, I want to uh, just say thank you to some recent, a uh, bunch of recent patrons, uh, none of whom actually want to be named, but for example, actually from listeners as a whole, got some incredible responses from the Metatrans episode. What's really cool is a lot of people ask me, they're like, oh, did you get a lot of hate for this? Like, did a lot of people tell you that, you know, as a white man, you're not allowed to talk about this? Absolutely not. Everyone has had like really thoughtful, and I've gotten dozens of them, and I haven't been able to reply to everyone, and I feel terrible about it, but I've gotten these super thoughtful, super warm, but again, mostly just like intellectually courageous and curious and, you know, and, and again, like designed to help me and help, of course, other members of the audience help us like think about it more and understand it better. And I don't think there's uh, a few people believe there's a really clear answer and I'm not there yet. But in a future episode, I want to do on Q&A, I actually want to do just like a follow up on Metatrans as well and say, hey, what did I learn from asking a bunch of people a bunch of stuff? Because I actually got um, some answers, some very different perspectives, all of which I thought were actually really valuable. It warms my heart just to know that that exists still. And I have just this awesome audience and I have awesome patrons. Again, we're getting like, we're getting a little experimental with our marketing. We're doing a lot of stuff on social. We're actually going to be trying to do some more 
uh, outreach with other podcasters to do some more cross promotion. And there's a little bit more advertising we actually want to try as an experiment. Anyway, long story short is I'll be kicking off another fundraiser. If anyone wants to check a few bucks our way, it would help us uh, continue to expand a lot and spread the message more. So uh, to those who have been great patrons and had great correspondence, um, listeners who've had great correspondence, great questions that have come in for the QA episode, thank you to everyone. It just makes my day every time I get a new patron and, uh, and even every time I get, get an email. Um, they've all been awesome. Okay, so what was my initial take on anti-work just based on what I saw coming in? Right. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff about labor organization and labor rights demanding, you know, bargaining, right? Which is, you know, bargaining is always a good thing. Sharing information to improve bargaining for workers, not putting up with crappy work conditions and like getting support uh, to not put up with crappy work conditions and toxic managers, talking about how to force companies to compete, right? To try to keep and win labor in a market where labor has the advantage, right? And look, hey, when capital has the advantage, right? When there's too many laborers and, and not enough employers, wages don't rise and people put up with stuff, right? And if, you know, if, the, if we're good with the market driving that, we should be good with the opposite, right? So I think this is a great thing. Even as an employer, I think it's a great thing. There's also posts that say like, I want stuff and someone has to make, you know, I want to be fed. I want to relax. You know, I, I want to enjoy my life and not have to work. And somehow, like, I don't want to work in exchange for all the stuff that I get, the services provided to me. That, to me, seems crazy, right? And the, just the idea of unemployment for all and ending work being part of the motto is obviously very explicitly not working, even though anti-workers will also sometimes say they're not actually about that, even though it says unemployment for all. And again, it, at the very least, it's terrible marketing. It's just frustrating hearing people talk out of both sides of their mouth and say, at the one hand, unemployment for all, and on the other hand, say, well, of course, we're, we're not against working we're just anti-work and uh, okay right like maybe this is maybe i'm just not smart enough but i'm pretty sure you're talking out of both sides of your mouth here right and like populists do that a lot like it's very populist and populists will do that a lot they'll contradict themselves and expect the audience to to you know and and well and just be fine with it right and when someone says there's a contradiction here just kind of blow up instead of fixing it and this is why populism is divisive or is one of many reasons but so what do they say they're about when like you sit them down right cuz uh Forbes and Business Insider did this uh I went and read these articles so you don't have to although you should you know they're fairly interesting so user rock cellist of Reddit who's one of the mods the moderators of the subreddit says quote a lot of people mistake anti work for being lazy and like nothing ever has to get done. Yes, indeed, I do. Uh, they go on to say, but the truth of the matter about anti-work and everything surrounding it is that obviously things have to get done, but the current structure in which things get done and the way that capital flows as they get done is unfair and should be non-existent. So I, I don't know what the non-existent part is because if you want to get stuff done, there has to be a structure and capital has to flow. So maybe they meant should change radically. Maybe they meant non-existent in some way that they don't want to explain or... Haven't figured out yet? I don't know. But it's what they explained to uh, Business Insider, right? So basically, again, it, it's a little bit of we want to go away. It's a little bit of we want to change it. And many posts, so these are this is what really kind of made me just so crankily anti-work for so long. You know, while many posts are pushing back against and calling out and getting advice on what seem like unfair or frankly ridiculous toxic man you know practices, often illegal, uh, often obviously illegal practices by companies or management, others get really weird and really don't you know make kind of the average person appeal to anti-work. So the number, if you sort by all time, you can see like the most up the stuff of all time 
the number three post all time. So the like most supported number three, most supported post of all time is about a disgruntled employee who telling obviously one side of their story who felt like in the past when they worked for a company, they didn't get paid enough. They didn't get appreciated enough. And years later, they found out that they still had access to a like Google Drive or something folder that had thousands of hours of video work that they did and deleted it all. Just deleted it, right? And like legally, obviously, that's the company's property. Uh, you worked for it for money. You did it, right? You could have stopped. You didn't stop. And of course, a lot of people feel like, well, we can't choose to stop because we have to pay the bills. And so it's a you know, there's a the form of like duress, right, that companies have over us, which I don't necessarily agree with. But, you know, but this person, after they did that work and took the money for the work, they went and destroyed the work. Uh, just to be malicious, just to get revenge, just to be an a-hole, right? No good came of it. Nothing was made better. The world was made worse. And uh, what this person did was obviously illegal and they're probably going to face repercussions for it because they were very public about it. And now there's evidence on the internet about it. Uh, so it was dumb. I think it's a horrible post. I think just, you know, destroying other people's stuff is bad. Uh, even if you do feel have a victim story, you know, it's like if, if someone, you know, you're in a relationship and someone breaks your heart and set their car on fire, right? Now they have to buy a new car. Like, it's a bad thing to do. Don't do it. And so this was very supported and it makes me think, gross, right? Um, some other top posts, quote, uh, I've been getting paid 80K a year for the last five years doing absolutely nothing and I don't plan on changing a thing. Quote, my five year getting paid for doing nothing is over. I'm heartbroken, right? So this is someone who like feels like they're entitled. They're totally fine with the idea of saying that they'll do work to get paid and not doing that work. And because someone else didn't notice, you know, they're fine with it. And they don't feel any need to earn that. They feel totally fine with the idea of that being gifted to them by good luck. Um, quote, I know this is the norm in America, but getting home at 6 p.m. and having two to three hours to yourself every night is the craziest shit ever. So working an eight-hour day is crazy now. It's the craziest thing. Quote, I automated my job a year ago and haven't told anyone, so that's like the above. Quote, there are more of us than them. In a post about violently taking land from landowners. Oh, that's a little gross. Quote, mankind wasn't meant to work in December. We were meant to hide from wolves, drink, and pray our autumn harvest will last us through the dark months. People liked that somehow. That doesn't sound good to me, right? So it's like, so instead of having a you know, a steady job, let's hide from wolves, freeze to death, and hope we don't starve literally every year, right? Try that for a year. Maybe you'll like your job more, right? But like wishing for that, that's weird. Um, quote, it really doesn't take much to realize something is inherently wrong with capitalism. You know, I haven't realized it yet, so I might not be that bright. Quote, people should clock in when they leave home, not when they get to work. The commute is not free time. So I should be allowed to live as far from my job as I want, and the company should pay me to drive to it, because that's their problem, not mine. All right, we see this differently. Quote, surely we've reached the point where any scarcity left is intentionally created by those hoarding all the wealth. How is this not the standard view? So someone who's clearly not an economist, thinks that the only reason we can't just all have free stuff, totally free stuff, is because the rich are evil. Business Insider says, can America have a four-day work week? It's complicated. Twitter person who didn't read it says, quote, you know, clearly didn't read the article, says, quote, on the one hand, it would be tremendously good for everyone. Psychologically, physically, we'd be happier and healthier for it. I agree certainly with that. We'd be happier with a four-day work week. On the other hand, there are eight really rich guys who are against it. So clearly didn't read the article. 
not interested in reading the article, right? Just interested in having an opinion. And then finally, quote, how do people wake up, work a 40-hour week, nine-hour shift every day, and think, yes, this is the way of life, without questioning how absurd capitalism is, as if in other systems you don't have to work? I don't know, man. It's just, like, you can guess why a lot of this stuff just drives me absolutely nuts. Because I think there are some people who think, like, oh, if we get rid of the thing that we call capitalism, we don't have to work, as if that's ever happened anywhere before. So as a whole, I don't like anti-work, right? It has some good stuff and it has some really ugly stuff. But again, I think the great stuff about labor organization, work standards, sharing some amazingly awful stuff that employers and managers have done, sharing pay rates, tips to negotiate, other stuff that, you know, and encouraging others to stand up and demand more as workers, right? That's really good stuff, right? Businesses work hard to get data to try to figure this stuff out and workers should too, right? Beautiful. Um, again, my opinion. But there's an interesting sense that like money isn't earned. Like you don't earn money it's just like it's this thing you get for doing this kind of like ritual or token task which is like sit in a seat for eight or nine hours a day that like you have to do for some like group of people who seem to control everything i guess that is the rich to decide that you're allowed to survive as opposed to like you earn your money in the same way that like if you were a farmer and you grew food and ate it you like earned that food right it's not that it's like you want to survive and you just have to like kind of do this ritual for it and you think it's absurd which is interesting um there's a sense that like suckering a company to get paid to do nothing is good, uh, which would feel really weird to me, right? I'd feel like I'm kind of stealing and that 40 hours is way too much work and that we should be able to work less. And so a little bit of context on me to get a sense of kind of like where I'm coming from, right? Again, really don't like, really don't like anti-work generally, but I'm actually really passionate about the potential of the corporation to drive human flourishing. I don't think most of them do. I think they have the potential to. And so like, I think about corporations and work on them a lot, right? right? I, I own one and run one, you know, and I've done stuff. I've done stuff. I think a lot of anti-workers might agree with, right? I, again, there's a lot of leverage in my company from my workers. So like, what do I do to keep them? I implemented salary transparency. So everyone knows what everyone, including me makes. I shared the market data we use to determine what people make so everyone can negotiate with the same information I have you know and I think that's it's actually been really good for us and so why do I share that just to give you a sense of what kind of you know how I think about uh labor relations you know I also and and I think it's been good for the company so I also believe that like for my own story I believe my story for myself my narrative for myself is that my own hard work through life my good sense my like pro team attitude you know friendliness skill smarts have been a, and a hustle, right? Have been a huge foundation of my success. You know, right now I make a serious multiple of the maximum amount of money my parents ever made combined. And I worked hard from a very young age, you know, as a child in school. And, you know, I had summer jobs as a teenager from 13 onward every summer um, and some holidays. I had summer jobs. I built experience, you know, when I was, and I had like a good attitude towards work. And I, you know, for me, in my experience, not saying it'll happen to everyone, but in my experience, that's like, that's all paid off big time. You know, and I liked having a job as a teenager. I really liked making money, right? Earning money. And I'd get this paycheck and I'd be like, yes, this is mine. It gives me freedom. It let me buy a used car. It let me, you know, pay for gas for that car. So I could drive, lived in a very rural area. So I could drive. Um, I could buy my own stuff. I didn't depend on my parents to go to college. You know, there's a, I got a lot of grants and loans, but you know, the parts we had to pay, I was able to pay. And so, so I, I associate work with freedom, which is interesting, right? Obviously, that's not a lot of people's experience, but I associate doing work with creating freedom. You know, and that job experience as a young, young man or as a child 
really. You know, how do you work at 13? Well, uh, there are farm rules that allow younger people to work. You get what's called a blue card. You can look it up in Pennsylvania. You know, it's Pennsylvania law. But that job experience had a snowball effect for me. And when I graduated, I graduated in 2009, the worst job market since the Great Depression. That job experience set me apart and helped me get a job. And all the businesses I've worked at, now it's worth noting that they've been high skill jobs, uh, businesses I've worked at after college. Um, I saw for myself and for others, hard work and skill pay off for people via promotions. And so my experiences there always felt more or less fair. So what's interesting is, of course, I have a bias going into this where like I see work as a very positive thing. It's worked out very well for me. It's a way for me to essentially like sell my skill, sell my hustle in the same way that I would sell a product that I make myself um, and, uh, you know, and earn money for that. And I can earn more working for a company than I can trying to make my own thing because the company, in addition to taking some of my surplus, also, you know, which is like the Marxian perspective, the Marxist perspective, the company takes your surplus. Well, the company also provides, you know, the marketing, the sales, you know, when I was a consultant, I didn't have to sell my own work. I didn't have to market my own work. They taught me skills. They had management that was a force multiplier. So I was able to be more valuable for working for that company. And they took some of the surplus, right? And that felt like a square deal to me, in part because I was able to make so much more money working with them than I would have, like, having been my own consultant right out of college. Nobody had ever hired me. But I had the opportunity to be a consultant in all these factories, learn a ton of stuff, make good money because I joined this company. And, and me trading away surplus value for everything that they gave me and multiplying my value felt fair. So now you can see why I really don't like anti-work because I'm like, you people don't get it, right? And like, and part of me, I have this bias, right? Part of me goes, well, you must have screwed something up if you're in this position, right? Part of me thinks that. And that's in my less empathetic perspective. But then I had a great conversation where I reconsidered anti-work. It was actually just like very recently I had dinner with friends of mine, um, caught up with them after years of not seeing them. They had moved to California. Then I didn't. And then I did. And then it was a pandemic. And I finally saw them. It was awesome. One of, one of these friends is also MIT, makes way more money than me. Uh, his wife is also a friend. We all met uh, some time ago. She makes way more money than me. So they're like doing great. And, you know, and they've clearly earned it. They've worked super hard. And one of my friends, the more opinionated one, uh, he's always been economically much more left wing than me. And so we've always had like these really interesting conversations about economic policy and such. And so because we hadn't talked much in seven years, we brought up the state of the nation. What's going on around us right now? And, you know, look, obviously, like we were kind of depressed in a lot of ways, right? Things have, you know, 2021 is a much bleaker world than 2014. 2014 is when I wrote Wedged. Now Wedged looks like a, you know, cakewalk. And so we discussed uh, some of the following topics, right? One of them is that like it's difficult to buy a house at our age in our mid to 30s even with our strong salaries because the price of real estate relative to salaries is substantially higher than it was when we were growing up right a significant burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating they always have their customers in mind their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you and with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And so from stuff like that, we have a sense that our generation has to work harder to get many of the same things as our parents that are really fundamental. Being debt-free, right? Because college costs a lot more. Homeownership, because homes cost a lot more. Good healthcare, because it's more expensive. Good education for our kids, because college costs a lot more. Retirement, because we're spending all this money, it's harder to save money, you know? We also have been talking about homelessness. It seems way up in major cities. And, you know, we found it really interesting that we see so much homelessness and pressure on real estate and that we don't see, you know, construction fixing that. We find that very strange. You know, actually, a couple of weekends ago, a friend of mine visited San Francisco and we toured the Presidio and, and that rises up looking over a big part of the city. And we looked out and we noted there were zero cranes which is crazy, right? Because it's the city in the country that has the highest rent, the highest real estate value, the highest pressure and the highest economic incentive to create more homes, right? Builders and real estate owners can make a killing by building and they're not allowed, right? Because that's the only reason they're not, it's because they're not allowed. And this is a super easy fix, right? Whereas places like New York, which is under a lot of similar pressure, are building a lot. Um, and so a lot of places don't build, but there's, and even though this is like huge real estate pressure. And what's interesting is that real estate being so expensive now means that the boomers who bought houses, which isn't all of them, right? Like obviously, you know, black Americans, for example, were really blocked out of this, but many boomers, you know, they built wealth through their home. They own it. They don't have to pay rent. They don't have to pay a crazy expensive mortgage the way that this friend of mine and I would, you know, and, and they figure that out and they have all this wealth and, um, you know, they kind of checked out in some way. The system kind of checked out for making sure their kids got that. We see homelessness way up and we don't see stuff, you know, again, buildings being built to drive pricing down so that, you know, folks aren't being driven out of their homes. Um, you know, I know some people just like kind of blame gentrification, but like people got to live somewhere. So, you know, you need more houses. Like if there's more demand than supply, you just need to build more regardless of like who you want to, like who you want to bash about it. Um, at least that was the conversation we had. You know, we've certainly seen rising income inequality. Like that's pretty easy to see, you know, if, if you kind of search anywhere for it. You know, and, and the thing we were thinking about was like, yeah, it seems harder to achieve the American dream than it used to. And we'd actually expect, you know, if you looked at like our parents' generation, the boomers, they had higher expectations than their parents, right? Their parents, like, you know, I remember touring a cannery that was like operative in the 20s. And like, there were all these like poor women who like got up at a whistle at the crack of dawn whenever the fish showed up and they had to just can all day in these terrible, stinky, terrible environments, uh, like, like disgusting, unsafe environments for almost no money. You know, and then after World War II, things improved significantly. The weekend happened. The 40-hour work week happened. The, you know, vacation became a thing. Owning a car, owning a home for most people, you know, out in the suburbs, and not most, many people out in the suburbs became a thing, right? I think we romanticized that a little bit. You know, there's insufficient evidence or even logic to suggest that everyone could live in the suburbs and everyone could have a maid because do the maids have a maid, right? But, you know, in the 1920s in Henry Ford's factory, even though he was paying a lot at the time, the people who made cars couldn't afford cars. Then a lot more people could afford cars in the 50s. So there's this idea that like the standard of living had, had improved. People got more out of doing work. And since then we've developed so much automation, right? So much automation. And aren't we working at least as hard as our parents? Like, do we have more vacation on average? No. Do we work fewer hours or fewer days on average? No. Why aren't we getting more time off? And if we're working at least as hard, right? Because, you know, these two friends and me, we don't work 40 hours, right? We work way more than that. So if we're working way harder, why haven't we seen this like radically different standard of living the way that our parents had, even though they weren't working more hours, right? We would kind of expect to work, to either work the same and get a lot more 
or work less and get the same, but it's harder to buy a house, it's harder to get healthcare, it's harder to go to college, not easier. Because all these things have gotten more expensive faster than wages have gone up, right? Which means your purchasing power for a lot of big stuff has gone down, which means you can't afford as much, right? And that's bad. Um, he also brought up some like really startling facts when, which I actually can't find, but I trust him because he's so reliable. So, you know, here we go. Be forewarned, made up facts here, right? And I'm not going to actually use like real numbers, but we were talking about anti-work and kind of how it came about and it, even just like decline of society and, and stuff like that. But, you know, he brought up this sense and this is where I really started to reconsider stuff where a lot of people don't feel like they're earning their money in the way that he and I and his wife do, but instead are doing this ritual, right? So there's this like significant minority, again, I don't know the number, that believes that if they left their job, their company wouldn't be worse off. Like basically nobody would notice. And a huge minority feels like they do less than 10 useful hours of work per week. The rest of the time, they're either in meetings they don't need to be in or they're goofing off, right? And um, this doesn't surprise you. I know people who feel this way. And that really nails the idea that people don't feel like their work is tied to value, that their paycheck is tied to value, that they're earning it, right? Because it's like, well, look, if I'm doing stuff that if it doesn't matter whether I'm there, if I'm doing almost no work, like no productive work, right? People are generally smart. They can figure out, hey, I'm doing productive work or I'm not. You know, if they don't feel like they're doing productive work, but they're getting paid anyway, well, maybe you start to question, why should I bother showing up? Why do I need to show up and just like sit here in this seat and pretend to work? Why can't I, for example, work 10 hours and get paid the same? And I thought about that. I was like, you know, that's a great point. People don't feel like, a lot of people don't feel like their work is tied to value. And so they don't feel like their work earns them money. They feel like they're wasting their time and they're wasting company money, but they need to eat, right? But if nobody's expecting them to produce something valuable, then why, you know, why have to go through that in order to get that paycheck because it's not like I'm earning it anyway. It's not like I'm contributing anyway. Nobody's put me in a position to contribute. And maybe nobody's put me in a position to get promoted and go be able to earn more later. So I don't feel motivated to go work. And some other stats I looked up later, fewer than 40% of millennials are in what's called a good job. This is according to Gallup, stuff like it provides healthcare. It's at least, you know, it's stable. It pays a certain amount and stuff like that. Stuff that would contribute to your quality of life. Uh, where nearly 50% of boomers are, and you know a lot of boomers are retired, and fewer boomers are in what's called a bad job than millennials. And in that, uh, Forbes talks about how you know they had their own survey, strong correlation between having a good job and having a sense that your quality of life is high, uh, and also that you're thriving in certain categories that again Gallup defined. But you know Gallup's cool. We'll we'll use that for a bit. Fewer than 40% of millennials across these seven measurements of thrive of quality of life are thriving. So in any one of them, excuse me, in any one of them. So 60% of millennials are not thriving in any life category according to Gallup's thing, which is slightly worse than Gen X and Boomers, right? So it's not like Boomers have it great and Gen X has it great and millennials are terrible, but it's going the wrong way right? Which we wouldn't expect. Like in the 90s, one of the things that these friends and I talked about was like in the 90s, we expected things were going to get better all the time and even into the 2000s. Another really interesting thing that's like very kind of anti-work related, people really don't like their bosses. 79% of people who quit do so because like management doesn't appreciate them or, or reward them or understand them or recognize them. So 80% of people who quit basically do it because of their leadership and their management. 58% um, of people, again, according to Forbes, trust a stranger more than their own boss, right? So they think of a boss as like worse than the average person. 
Fewer Americans feel like, so this is from a Gallup poll, fewer Americans feel like their job is part of a career path with advancement than in 1980. So it means less of a sense that working hard will yield you future benefits. People don't seem to get the healthcare safety net that they're used to with a job in the private sector. So adults age 18 to 64 who are covered by private insurance are down from 72% in 1980. Right. So the percentage of Americans that are covered, you know, in that age group before Medicare kicks in and aren't covered by their parents who are covered by private insurance from their jobs is down 72 percent. So even that kind of like benefits idea is is in decline. It's going the wrong way. And a low number of Americans are engaged in their jobs, 36 percent. But what's interesting, what's interesting is 36 percent of Americans are engaged in their jobs, according to Gallup, versus 26 percent engaged in 2000 and 20 uh, percent globally are engaged now. So 36 percent seems to be an improvement, but it's still low. So we talked about this and we talked about like, yeah, if these people aren't providing value, aren't contributing anything meaningful in their jobs, right? They aren't engaged. They're not going to improve. You know, why not just put them on UBI, right? Why not just pay them to do nothing instead? And what's interesting is the man and I were having uh, this like heated conversation because he and I, not heated, but like a highly energized conversation because like he and I would always get into it when you we were younger and his wife jumps in and she says, but there are still potholes. And we paused and she'd said that to him before. So, so he smiled. And, and it became clear that it's an allegory for a bigger idea. There's actually tons of work that still needs to get done that isn't getting done. There's valuable stuff that people could do that isn't being done, right? Should we pay people to do nothing when there are potholes, right? If they're not somehow not able to work, that being different. But like, instead of sitting around at a desk all day doing nothing, you know, can we organize work in a way such that people fill in the potholes along with the allegorical potholes, build housing for the homeless, provide the healthcare that needs to be provided that a lot of people aren't getting access to. Like you could go on and on and on about all the stuff that needs doing, much less the stuff that could be invented and improved. Right. So there's clearly tons of work to do. Like the idea that like abundance is so great, but simply concentrated that like most people could not work and like the world would be fine. Right. It's a little silly when you look around and see all the things that need to be done. So we could put people to work in a really interesting way. And I found that really interesting because I was as I was reconsidering anti-work. Right. Again, it's people don't feel like, you know, the people in this movement don't feel like their work provides value uh, and therefore it kind of doesn't even make sense for them to do it. But they haven't considered like they've considered a different relationship with their employer so that they don't get screwed or don't feel screwed. But what's interesting is I think like, you know, from what I've seen, they haven't considered if I'm in this wasteful job, this job where I work less than 10 hours a week, you know, is there some other place where I could be working and doing something else, you know, and maybe that could pay me more later, but they haven't thought about how they contribute. They've only thought about what they can get from what I can see, but they haven't thought about where they can contribute. Um, and I think that's a big part of what's missing from the anti-work movement. And But it's like this kind of endemic problem, and it's a little chicken and egg, which came first, probably the economic conditions, so maybe not so much, but you know, these economic conditions like drive this idea of like work is not dignified. Work is not a thing where we go earn money. Right? We use that word earn or make money. You generate it. You create wealth. Right? They talk so much about distribution because they don't have a sense that they can earn money, that they can make money, that you can only distribute money. And if the more the rich get, the less I have. You know. And so, like, there seems to be this idea that, or it's the idea isn't necessarily well formed, but there seems to be like a fact that technology has improved dramatically, but it doesn't seem to have like improved the core standard of living of a lot of people. And so there's higher anxiety around health insurance. There's higher anxiety about affording a house. There's higher anxiety about whether I'll be able to even send my kids to college. We're also questioning whether we should, but even if you should, even if they should go be an engineer, will they make money? Can I afford it? Right. And so it's tough to feel that way 
what I empathize is like it's tough to feel that way and see, you know, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos getting rich and sending, you know, ships into space, right? It feels wasteful because it feels like, you know, where is the work getting done on making health insurance work, on making housing affordable? Why is that work going to space? And why are these folks getting rich? You know, people start getting this zero-sum mentality. And again, zero-sum mentality isn't really reality, but, you know, if it seems like, whether or not it's true, really, like however much is true, because it is somewhat true, but if it seems like the rich are getting all of the money that people are working for and they're the only ones benefiting from the improvements, right, then you, people are going to start to resent them. And so we even talked about private space travel, a quote from my friend. He said, if everyone's standard of living was rising, we'd see things like SpaceX as a sign of American power and might and prosperity, right? Much like the moon landing. He said, it's hard to feel like this isn't coming at the expense of your salary or house for you or the homeless. You know, so I think, you know, I look at self-landing rockets and I go, that's incredible. I look at the fact that the U.S. is like the leader in electric cars and, and we're developing electric car infrastructure. And I think that's incredible, right? I'm really excited about it. And so I'm kind of like, you know, great, good on you, Elon Musk. Build this stuff. That's awesome. And I want it done, right? I want this stuff done. And I keep thinking like, why do you hate Elon so much? He's like, you know, he's making space travel easier and cheaper, you know, dramatically cheaper, getting a lot of cool technology up there that's useful. He's, you know, he's making electric cars popular. He's building the infrastructure for charging it, right? It's great. And, but this could be where a lot of that resentment comes from. And, you know, one of the things we talked about was this, the last kind of thing we talked about as I reconsidered all this was that with work feeling like a waste, all these kind of like jobs where if people leave, nobody would notice. I said, you know, we were talking about it and I said, yeah, but nobody creates useless jobs on purpose, right? You know, it's kind of inefficient. And like the efficient market hypothesis would say they can't really exist. And my friends respond with the, of course, the principal agent problem and the vanity metric of headcount. So, and the fact that budget isn't tied to take home pay for managers. So the principal agent problem is that the principal wants one thing and the agent they employ wants something the opposite. And a lot of people, you know, they get promoted or, you know, they show off how powerful they are by how big a team they manage. You know, headcount is good and because uh, it makes you look good. It makes you look powerful. You get paid more for leading bigger teams. And so managers in many big companies actually want more headcount, not less. They don't want less budget, right? They don't actually want to like get leaner. And there's, you know, the principle, the company isn't good at finding people who aren't, who's, or finding roles that aren't contributing efficiently and getting rid of them. You know, if you see an office space, they bring in the bobs to do that. Um, but it's typically quite difficult. It's also not fun when you do it. And so, you know, in the end, I've like reconsidered kind of what's behind anti-work and it's helped me, you know, thinking about anti-work has helped me like understand a problem in the United States that I didn't conceptualize all that well before. I think the idea of unemployment for all is still crazy, but the idea of disassociating work from money is one I get where people are coming from. People feel like they're being told they need to sit in a chair and pretend to work for 40 hours in order to live, right? They're not doing anything valuable. They're not contributing. And I think people want to contribute most of the time, but they're not, contrib you know, the work is not valuable for them and it's not worth valuable for the company. It's not valuable for society. So why pretend? Why not just let me be free? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.